Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was April 18, 1688. Several Quakers in what was then Germantown, Pennsylvania, authored a petition against slavery. Early on, Quakers were proponents of slavery and complicit in the slave trade. But by the late 1600s, some Quaker colonists were calling the institution of slavery into question. Quakers weren't prohibited from owning slaves until 1776. And less than two decades after that, they petitioned the U.S. Congress for the abolition of slavery. But the 1688 petition marked the first time a religious body in the English colonies protested the brutal system. Francis Daniel Pastorius, who was a German-born lawyer and founder of Germantown, as well as three other Quakers in Germantown, drafted the petition on behalf of the Germantown meeting of the Religious Society of Friends. In the petition, the authors argued that the oppression of Black people was just as bad as that of Quakers and Mennonites in Europe, that slavery was a turnoff for potential European immigrants, and that slave rebellions posed a huge threat to the nonviolent Quakers. In the late 1600s in the colonies, many Quakers owned slaves, and the Quaker slave trade was growing. Many English Quakers saw slavery as necessary to drive economic prosperity. Some Quakers had already found fault with the practice of slavery well before the Germantown petition, like the founder of Quakerism, George Fox. He said that Quakers should treat enslaved people the way they would want to be treated and believed that the presence of non-Christian enslaved people could threaten the integrity of the Quaker family. Some Quakers against slavery thought that the practice was in opposition to Quaker values of nonviolence, equality, hard work, and humility. And in 1683, English Quaker Benjamin Furley was inspired by his fear of slave revolts to write a letter to William Penn, a Quaker and founder of the colony of Pennsylvania. Furley requested an end to the importation of enslaved people in Pennsylvania and the eventual freeing of enslaved people that came from other colonies. A lot of the English Quakers who objected to slavery did so because they believed slaves were unenlightened and dangerous and many Quakers were fearful for their safety. The Germantown petition, on the other hand, made the argument against slavery one about human rights and practical concerns. German and Dutch Quakers weren't as used to slavery in Black people, while the English had long been reliant on slavery. That meant that slavery was more of an issue for Germantown Quakers than English Quakers, because people in Germany and Holland weren't particularly into moving to a colony where slavery was the norm. Though the Germantowners were Quakers, they were still outsiders in the Quaker community and had a cultural disconnect with the English Quakers. So several Germantown Quakers decided to raise the issue of slavery through a petition. They drafted the Germantown Friends' protest against slavery on April 18, 1688. They said in the petition, now, though they are Black, we cannot conceive there is more liberty to have them slaves as it is to have other white ones. There is a saying that we shall do to all men like as we will be done ourselves, making no difference of what generation, descent, or color they are. And those who steal or rob men, and those who buy or purchase them, 
Are they not all alike? Here is liberty of conscience, which is right and reasonable. Here ought to be likewise liberty of ye body, except of evildoers, which is another case. But to bring men hither, or to rob and sell them against their will, we stand against. The petition was first presented at the monthly meeting at Abington, where it was considered too weighty an issue to deal with. From there, it was kicked to the Philadelphia Quarterly Meeting and the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting and rejected in both places. Since the petition was not published, it did not have any immediate effect on slavery and society in Pennsylvania. Slavery continued and Quakers continued to profit off of enslaved labor, even as the authors kept protesting the institution and other Quakers wrote petitions. But the document resurfaced in 1844, when a Quaker publication called The Friend announced its rediscovery. At that point, the abolitionist movement was active and the document gained renewed interest. But the petition was once again misplaced and rediscovered in March 2005 at the Arch Street Meeting House in Philadelphia. Now, the document holds significance as a testament to the anomalous perspective on slavery Germantown Quakers brought to the colony of Pennsylvania and abolition overall. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. Hello, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that opens the book of history and rips out a page. The day was April 18, 1980. Zimbabwe was established when the Crown Colony of Southern Rhodesia gained independence from Britain. In the 1800s, British and Afrikaner hunters, traders, prospectors, and missionaries from the South began moving north into the land that composes modern-day Zimbabwe. By the 1880s, Cecil Rhodes had formed the British South Africa Company, some of its goals were to encourage immigration, colonization, trade, and commerce. It was expected to make treaties, promulgate laws, and maintain a police force, among other responsibilities. Basically, it aimed to bring British rule into Central Africa without creating new responsibilities or expenses for the British government. The company was given prospecting and mining rights by the Ndebele king, Lobengula. That meant it had mineral rights in Matabili land and Ndebele-dominated Mashona land. So in 1890, Rhodes sent in a party of colonists from Bechuana land, which was a protectorate in Southern Africa. They began prospecting for gold, and by 1891, Mashona land and Matabili land were declared British protectorates. Over the next several years, Europeans began to colonize the region. War broke out between the Ndebele Kingdom and the British South Africa Company in 1893 and lasted until 1894. Another conflict between the two sides took place from 1896 to 1897. The Shona people, as well, joined in on this uprising against the British South Africa Company. 
But after this conflict, the entire region up to the Zambezi River came under the control of the company. The area became known as Southern Rhodesia. Colonists in the area demanded representation in the Legislative Assembly, which by 1903 was made up of seven officials from the British South Africa Company and seven elected colonists. When the company's 25-year charter was about to expire in 1914, the colonists convinced the British government to extend the charter for 10 years. In 1923, Southern Rhodesia became a self-governing crown colony. Three decades later, the UK established the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland. It was made up of Southern Rhodesia, Northern Rhodesia, and Nyasaland. The Federation had its own assembly and prime minister. Many Africans in Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia opposed the Federation, as Southern Rhodesia was overwhelmingly European and racially segregated. Though some groups supported the Federation, the late 1950s saw the growth of movements for national liberation. As people in Nyasaland, Northern Rhodesia, and Southern Rhodesia began demanding independence from British rule, pressure to break up the Federation escalated. The Federation was formally dissolved at the end of 1963. Nyasaland achieved full independence in July of 1964 and became the Republic of Malawi. Northern Rhodesia became independent the same year and was renamed Zambia. But in Southern Rhodesia, Ian Smith formed a new party called the Rhodesian Front, which promoted white supremacist policies and advocated for an independent Rhodesia governed by the white minority. By April of 1964, Smith was prime minister of Rhodesia, which was again acting as a self-governing colony. After failing to get the British government to grant Rhodesia independence under guaranteed white minority rule, Smith's government decided to do so itself and published the Unilateral Declaration of Independence, or UDI. After years of conflict and negotiation between Britain, the white Rhodesian government, and nationalist movement leaders, Smith was pressured into concessions. The UDI was overturned, and Britain briefly retook control of Southern Rhodesia as a colony in 1979. But elections were held in February of 1980, and the country gained international recognition as the independent Zimbabwe on April 18, 1980. Robert Mugabe became the country's prime minister. In the following years, Zimbabwe saw droughts, massacres, economic crises, as well as social movements for change. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you are so compelled, you can send us a note on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to, you can send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Hope you all are doing well. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.